Today's text is a familiar one for most of us, a moving poem about the gaze of God and our responses to it. What does it mean to be searched and known, to search and to know? These are questions with which our poet is concerned in today's portion of Psalm 139. The psalmist offers a deeply intimate portrait of an individual's relationship to God, invoking a God whose presence is in the microscopic as much as in the cosmic. Theologians toss around phrases like divine transcendence to talk about how the holy is distinct from the world, and divine eminence to talk of the holy's intimate connection to it. Yet we know that all God language falls short of the reality of the divine. That is, of course, because it is impossible for humans to grasp the mind of God. We simply cannot know what it would be like to know all. We are lucky then that art reaches into spaces of understanding, expanding with metaphor what cannot be grasped by mere fact. Even so, Ellen T. Armour writes, this psalm also witnesses to the fact that experiencing divine love care, and mystery compels us to attempt the impossible, to speak of God. So we do. Let us look to the text. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. In this first section of the text, we read about a God who searches. God's identity as a seeker is thorough and relentless. In all that we do, God sees. I don't know about you, but I used to feel unnerved by this text. But of this sacred gaze, the rabbi David Wolpe writes, watching is not malevolent or dictatorial. It is a watching of gentleness from a one who understands and the one who is said to have eternal love. If we understand being watched as an act of love, as a parent watches a child, the significance shifts. To be watched by the one who understands and knows you is in fact a blessing, a blessing indeed. The text continues, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Of all the challenges of this psalm, I find this section the most powerful. It speaks of a deity whose presence permeates all there is, all we have ever encountered, all we shall ever see or know. Wherever we go, God is. In the face of our most difficult journeys, God is. In the cruelest of injustices, God is. In the most grievous of losses, God is. That God is, is the very gift that makes life possible. Because God is, nothing is hidden, no matter how much light we see, 
or don't see. God is. God sees. God witnesses that which no one else can. The psalmist continues, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Here we find imagery of a relationship so deep as that of a mother and a child. The psalmist writes of a womb-like cosmos that holds us as we are intricately woven. Again, we hear from armor. This language succeeds admirably in conveying both God's transcendence of the finite and God's eminence within it. On the one hand, imagining God involved in gestation, whether in the womb or in the depths of the earth, knits the finite with the infinite. The difference between God and the world, the finite and the infinite, is clearly maintained. One is creator and the other created. One knows all from the start. The other comes to its limited knowledge only as it moves along life's journey. The imagery of knitting and weaving is deeply embodied and connects the creator to the created. If we are knitted and woven by the hand of God, made out of God's stuff, then we can say we are fearfully and wonderfully made because the substance of the holy is made of those same things. But what has God created? The word translated in most being here is the Hebrew word for kidney. Yes, it's actually kidney. But in the Hebrew Bible, kidneys are, are believed to be the seat of our conscience. <clears throat> so the verse could be rightly translated, for you created my conscience. God created human beings with the capacity for moral choice, discernment, and ethical decision-making. One helpful corrective we find in this psalm is the way it orients us and centers us in the importance of the physical body. As Christians, we often speak of souls, of the disembodied and ethereal. This psalm calls us back to the goodness of an embodied creation. It places care for our physical needs and for our material world squarely at the center of divine concern. If these things matter to God, they should then too matter to us. And so the poem reorients us as to what is important to God. It reaffirms the value of exercising theological imagination, stretching to care about the physical world as we grow in ethical formation. The watching of God is not only an encouragement to ethical action, but also a comfort in it. We do not act in secret or live in isolation. The God who watches also considers and accompanies us encouraging us to care as God cares about the world and its inhabitants. The poet marvels. How weighty are to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. Having considered all that God is and all that God does, the psalmist reasserts the import of the Holy's presence. How weighty, he writes, are the thoughts of God. How vast is the sum of them. They're so significant, so numerous, 
that the poet cannot count them. The image we have here is of a person on a beach looking at each grain of sand as a unique consideration of the holy. The person could count all night, as some translations prefer, or to the end of his life, as others emphasize, and still not come to their end. To the end of night or to the end of life, the poet is still and always in the presence of God. And this is the wonder of God for the poet, that there is no end to the holy's presence. And though the lectionary leaves off the final few verses, the psalm is difficult to understand without at least hearing the last two, which read, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Having considered the person and activity of the holy, the psalmist moves from recognition of God's searching and knowing to invitation. He sees that God's intimate exploration of our lives is not simply a neutral fact. It is what we most need and most desire. We need God's knowledge of us so we can show ourselves and see ourselves as we truly are. Thus, the poem ends with a plea that God would show us ourselves and lead us in God's way. God knows our ways, says verse 3. But here we pray that we would see God's way, which is the way everlasting. And so we see that when we are searched and known, when we recognize ourselves as moral agents, we are in fact being made into disciples. These last verses are a plea to be made into disciples whose ways match the ways of the divine. But not just that. They are the plea of a person whose weakness whose love, whose sense of the world are uniquely understood by the creator. This is what it means to be known by the Holy One and to choose to walk morally with God. What you see, God sees. What you are where you are called to make the gospel come alive, God encourages. Where you alleviate suffering, God rejoices. What are you called to in this season? Where's your conscience pricked? Where do you need God's help, God's steady gaze to steady you and steal your nerves? I don't know what you have been called to in God's unique creation and knowing of you, but I do know that you have been called to discipleship and to walk in God's way. I pray then that the Holy One would show you where your deep calling and the world's deep need meet and you would move with the divine to make change happen. Amen.